Bucket Problem, episode 47. I am your host, Ace Ampender, and the whole crew is here today. Uh, we are, as always, presented by Homefield Apparel and PointsBet, and we're a proud member of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Uh, welcome, guys. It's been a little, little bit before since we've uh, all been together for a pod. Um, we'll jump straight into big moods, uh, and I'm trying to see which one is most appropriate to go first. Dan, you have the most random. So let's let's start with you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, uh, as as, as longtime listeners of the show would, will know, and by the way, at the, when we when we finally burn out and the podcast ends, there will be a test. Um, and you're gonna have to, <laughs> yes, you're going to have to answer questions about uh, our personal lives, um, but and specific tweets of mine. Um, but uh, my as, as longtime listeners of the show know, uh, my brother. Uh, is currently finishing up at Penn State. Um, he's going to be graduating. Uh, very proud of him. Shout out, Josh. Um, but uh, he was. This is his last couple weeks at Penn State, and um, I've been home for a couple weeks. And uh, my my dad and I decided to go out to State College and uh, play around a round of golf, um, and just kind of just kind of keep him company because he's kind of alone. Uh, summer semester can be kind of dull, um, so hang out, kind of see State College, all that. I've been a couple times. Um, long story short, on uh, Wednesday, we went to uh, brunch at the Waffle. It's not called Waffle House, but it's called Waffle like Stop or something like that. Waffle Shop. Um, very good. Uh, and we were seated right next to James Franklin and staff doing a uh, big recruiting weekend. Um, spotted a whole bunch of, yeah, I, I recognized a bunch of the um, uh, 18-year-old kids that were there. Um, <laughs> super normal. I wasn't um, going to ask, but... No, no, I actually, I actually didn't. I actually didn't recognize <laughs> any of them. Uh, I think Penn State's doing better on the trail than Michigan is. We're not really fighting for the same kids. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, saw James Franklin. Uh, he He's he's a lot bigger in person. Um, he, he's a big guy. And uh, he was walking out, immediately stopped by, like, everyone in the diner. Like, like oh, can we get a picture? And uh, I got to give him some credit. I mean, like, he, he really stopped and like had like a, a short, like sweet conversation with every single person that asked for his picture. Um, so I, I think that I, I see why he gets so much media love. Like I can't imagine Jim Harbaugh doing that. You know, like I think that that it really speaks to like if you're just nice and have patience with, you know, the people that uh, mob you from your for your photograph in public, like you can get fawning media pieces uh, written about you and um, just get, get raises after two straight mediocre seasons. I was going to say <laughs> a series <laughs> of escalating raises. You don't have to be good. You can just, you can just be nice. You can't be bad and mean and you, and, but you, and you know, but you can, you can be good or nice and you can basically have the same amount of success. So this is how Michigan anyway. ended up with Brady Hoke as a football coach. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, he, he was nice. He was for sure. Nice. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's uh it's like, yeah, it's, there's like a bad, nice scale that you or Yeah, good, nice scale. And you have to be like over the axis or whatever. So um, who is on the opposite end of Brady Hoke? Is that like Bo Pelini territory in terms of being <laughs> and got fired for being mean? Uh, oh, my God. Considering he's been, but, but been be... fired for being mean after like performing fairly well. Yes, I, I think Bo Pelini is high up on that list. Good and mean. I mean, yeah, Bo Pelini. Kirk um, Ferentz. Kirk Ferentz. Sorry. Yeah, but he's good and mean. I mean, Nick, Sab- Nick Saban's the most obvious good and mean coach, right? Like, isn't he like low key kind of hilarious though? I think like, he's hilarious. He's funny. Like, he's pretty funny. Like he, because, he does these yeah. nuts jokes with his players. Like, Nick <laughs> I mean, honestly, kind of great. <laughs> I, maybe. I, wouldn't, 
I wouldn't say like mean, but Jim Harbaugh was very good with the 49ers and did get fired because he was too, like too, <laughs> too confrontational. So, I mean, I don't know if we're being fair, like maybe we've really swung back. Like, uh, I don't know. Jim Harbaugh is not mean, but he is difficult. Inconsiderate. <laughs> I would say. <laughs> oh. Uh, yeah, he is strange. I was just like picturing him leaving the diner. He would just like not notice the crowd of people, like go out to the parking lot, do ten push-ups before getting in his car, like <laughs> all while completely oblivious to what was happening. Yeah, he's 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 asking the waitress if she's got like um like different hollandaise. Like he doesn't like the hollandaise sauce that comes on the eggs Benedict. And he's like asking for like a specific brand. Uh, he also wants really... to know if she can catch a 95 mile an hour fastball in the parking lot for him. <laughs> yeah, like he's not he's not like even like like creepily hitting on no the, the no waitress. this is this he's is not like, at all sexual. <laughs> yeah, no, he's he's genuinely curious like what her 40 time is. He, he's um, mad that he can't get a whole pitcher of milk. <laughs> can we get a pitcher of milk for the table? Oh, <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that's enough about uh, James Franklin at a diner. <laughs> That's uh, that's where this started. That's right. Um, Connor, let's go to you, man. Uh, and also, uh, welcome back to the show. Hey, everybody. Um, yeah, so I follow a lot of Michigan players on Instagram, uh, which is a completely normal thing to do. Yes. Um, I, le- <laughs> I learned a lot about the latest lingo by following, like, untouchably cool, like, 19-year-olds, okay? I have to stay, stay current. So um, Will Johnson is one of the best Michigan player Instagrams right now um, for a lot of reasons. He's you know, a uh, very expressive, like flamboyant kid uh, in a lot of ways, but um, particularly seems to have like, you know, just this endless cascade of different NIL deals that he's doing, which like, number one, I hope that recruits are following him because like he's proof, he is living proof that the bag can be gotten at Michigan uh, NIL. If you have a little bit of hustle, like I, I don't want kids that don't have grind set, just want everything handed to them. I want kids who want to go out there and earn it like Will Johnson. Um, but like recently he posted like some weird like 3D animation related to Neiman Marcus, which is a brand name I haven't heard in like a decade. And like, you know, like a 3D rendering of like a shopping center and like a, a money truck crashes into the shopping center. I have no idea what's going on. I assume it's some Zoomer shit that I'm not meant to understand. You sent it to us uh, and I thought I was in the midst of like an acid flashback. Yeah, it's deeply weird. Like, I, like half of his posts are just indecipherable to me. But the upshot is he's getting his bag. He has grind set. He's not complaining uh, like a lot of these kids that just want, you know, they want that Quinn Ewers life, million dollars in a truck, and then you just leave. Will Johnson has he's he's out there earning it. So a plus to him. It's very on brand that the Michigan NIL hustle for players is doing autograph signings at suburban Detroit malls, like at the nicest department store in those malls, and just trying to you know, soak up whatever is left of, you know, yeah, going to half empty mall in Rochester or whatever and signing autographs. It's a step up. It's definitely a step up. Um, <laughs> Alex, you, uh, you've got a piggyback mood off of this big mood. So uh, let's see. Yeah, it is tangentially related to NIL, um, but my big mood is actually about basketball. And I, even though Michigan is losing pretty much most of their entire team from last year. I'm still pretty excited about this upcoming season because Hunter Dickinson's back. Don't really need to describe to everyone how good of a player he is or how much he's meant to the program over the last two years. But usually players of his caliber don't stick around college basketball for very long. Um, There definitely is kind of a declining sense of talent in the sport, Um, you know, with kids going to 
the G League right out of high school or going to the NBA as soon as they have a good season in college. But based on what the NBA prioritizes, it, it kind of makes sense for Hunter to stay in college. Like he can probably make more money from NIL and doing autograph signings at car dealerships or whatever. Um, and then, you know, I there's a couple other big men in college basketball as well. Oscar Shibway for Kentucky, Trace Jackson Davis for Indiana. Um, it's kind of interesting that these trends have converged to make it so that like the most traditional style of center is staying in college basketball and getting better and more dominant against the competition. But it is kind of an interesting change and it should you know, benefit U of M quite a, quite a lot next year. Yeah. I mean, Dickinson's going to be a national player of the year candidate. Trace Jackson Davis is probably going to be a national player of the year candidate. Uh, although I think he might be a tad bit overrated, but um, yeah, Shibway, I think Shibway will be in that conversation. Like it's, it's funny. Like you said, how, like, I mean, the NBA like doesn't really play centers once it comes to the playoffs, except for a handful of minutes. And now, in college basketball, most of the best teams are uh, have dominant big men, usually. Yeah, Shibway is the first national player of the year to return to college basketball in quite some time. And yeah, to your point about centers playing in the NBA playoffs, they really only play if they're like supernaturally talented or if they're good at defending smaller players and rebounding and protecting the rim a little bit. There's not as much room for, say, you know, throw it to Hunter and back somebody down and score. Um, So yeah, it'll be interesting to see, you know, if that trend continues over multiple years or not. Um, I got to assume that if kids are going to go in the first round of the NBA draft, they're just going to leave and that's the right decision for them. But as a fan of the sport, it's kind of funny and cool to see this archetype get stronger, even as, you know, talent across the board, other positions, maybe getting weaker, like, not having Jalen Green or Scoot Henderson in college basketball, it kind of sucks as a fan of the sport, but at least we'll get to see Hunter prove once and for all that he's better than Trace Jackson Davis. Um, Trace Jackson Davis, by the way, read my DMs to you guys at the halftime of the Big Ten tournament game and decided to put the team on his back and start playing well. So, so that's what happened. I, I apologize right. for that. Yeah, I, I called him overrated in private, and then everything fell apart. Well, yeah, well, I was actually, I think he was actually more reacting to me DMing him directly. Uh, <laughs> him he was overrated. Uh, I was, I was, yeah, no. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think, I think college basketball should really go and try to be what the NBA claims it was in the nineties. Um, and just like really, really tamp back all the foul rules and let these like, but these big boys that are staying in college basketball, just like hack the crap out of people. Like, let's see Hunter Dickinson, like, completely take out um an illinois point guard i think that's what, what should happen um it, we, we have to get a niche like like obviously the talents leave like which honestly i don't care as much because i still am rooting for like look college basketball is not pretty most of the time so i'm okay with like you know if there's a lower level overall it's still gonna be fun to watch and people care more about the tournament than like seeing like high level nba play um at least that's how i feel but you know i, I understand other perspectives but I think that, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, like, got, got to find the niche, right? Like, make it, uh, make it a different sport. The NBA, like, like, make it like the Boomers uh, NBA. I love, I love that Dan is uh, showing his age once again here because you're too young to remember like circa 2009 Big East basketball that was literally what you describe. Um, 
<laughs> just like you know like centers body slamming each other i'm not really exaggerating by much like some of those pit teams and stuff uh greg, greg monroe also, played power forward in college <laughs> yeah and i'm thinking also like the uh the these i think the epitome of this was uh the the brad stevens era butler teams that just fouled literally like like three times on every possession and just dared you to call it that being said dan i did enjoy that era of college basketball so we go back to that you know we could do worse yeah following the shit out of people dirty cheap shots um we unfortunately we already have that in the big time with wisconsin <laughs> i mean tom izzo used to just grab literal football players to stick on his bench and play in the actual games yeah, uh, yeah dan it's, it's really like, too like, bad you missed the early izzo days <laughs> like 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 uh, draymond green <laughs> uh uh, I wish I, I like sincerely wish Dan had been around for the Matt Trannon era, both on the field and the court, and also on message boards. Is um, Matt Matt Trannon was an absolute sensation if you believed certain message boards. One of the greatest athletes to ever do it. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, you might actually have a hard time looking it up because he wasn't that good. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, my big move before we actually get into this podcast, like 25 minutes into it, is um, I'll keep it short and sweet. Uh, Arch Manning committed to uh, Texas earlier today, uh, which means that I am excited for Michigan's 2024 starting quarterback battle between J.J. McCarthy and Quinn Ewers. That's it. Um, all right. Uh, in basketball stuff, uh, Michigan added Duke transfer Joey Baker. Um, they have also lost out to uh, Pete Nance, who went to Carolina. Jacob Grandison, who went to Duke, and uh, pretty much anybody else who was mentioned as a uh, potential transfer to Michigan uh, is off the board. But they did add Baker, who was a top 50 prospect, um, didn't play a lot at Duke, but that's also because he was behind uh, a bunch of guys who are either going to go in the NBA draft uh, later tonight as we record this or in the last couple NBA drafts. Uh, so there's reason... It, it's understandable why he was a career bench player. Um, he's kind of just a shooter, but Michigan really needs that. Um, Alex, what'd you think of uh, Baker as a pickup, especially since it's looking like he's probably going to be the only guy Michigan lands from the portal. Yeah. Besides Jalen Llewellyn. Um, yes. Yes. He's worth yeah. mentioning as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, quite important. The the thing about Joey Baker is it kind of reminds me of when Spike Albrecht took a grad transfer year. Um, he was stuck behind really good players at Michigan. He was like the polar opposite as a recruit, but good shooter, you know, proven rotation player at a high major level. Um, and then he had hip surgery, wound up leaving Michigan. Joey Baker, I don't know exactly what kind of hip surgery he had, but it's worth mentioning that he's recovering from that. Mm -hmm. Um Spike played a little bit at Purdue Baker. I think the biggest difference is that he's six, six. And if you're six, six and can shoot, like you're definitely going to have a role on this Michigan team. So it'll be interesting to see who emerges as part of that rotation with um, Isaiah Barnes, Greg Glenn, even, but I think Baker, you're at least addressing like a major roster need by picking him up and, he, he is coming from a really good program. He was a captain there. I think that's a good addition for the locker room too, potentially. So I'm, you know, given the kind of state of affairs where Michigan waited until the very end to find out that Houston and Diabate weren't coming back, it kind of 
puts your hand up behind your back a little bit of uh, recruiting grad transfers. So yeah, I think it's, it's a good pickup. I wouldn't expect him to start though. No, um, I'm, I'm still expecting Jet Howard and Kobe Bufkin to kind of be your wing starters with Terrence Williams at the four. But that I think is a kind of a big knock on effect from adding Baker is that you can, I think now pretty much exclusively play Williams at the four instead of, uh, kicking him down to small forward where he just like at power forward, all, all of Terrence Williams's weird skills played to his advantage. And when he's at small forward, I, I feel like it's kind of the opposite. And that's certainly how it played out in Michigan's lineups last year. And uh, hopefully this will kind of just, just by shoring up, like at least experience depth on the wing. Cause like you said, we don't know sort of, with Isaiah Barnes. I mean, we don't really even know with Kobe Bufkin, but we're hoping for a breakout there. Um, it's it's going to be, it's nice to have somebody with some experience on the wing where you know what they bring to the table. And even if it's a relatively limited skill set. Um, I mean, when Baker committed, I was playing around with his on-off stats from Duke last year. And <clears throat> the main thing I noticed was that uh their defense held relatively steady as, um, as long as they weren't taking off like all of their best defensive players and leaving them out there alone. But once you filtered out garbage time and, you know, put them next to a couple key starters, their numbers, you know, both on offense and defense remain pretty damn good. So as long as Michigan isn't asking him to be like their primary scorer, and that shouldn't be the case with, Dickinson and Bufkin and Howard on the court. Like I, I think Baker just as a pure catch and shoot guy um, and somebody who can guard threes and get away with switching onto twos and fours a little bit. Um, you know, he at least has decent positional size and yeah. he doesn't seem to get overwhelmed on defense at the very least. So um, that uh, did, feels like a yeah, good pickup. He did have the benefit of playing alongside a lot of really other talented players that's true. Um, Mark Williams is probably going to get uh, drafted for his defense. Palo Bancaro is going to go probably in the top three. Um, you probably know this stuff by the time you're listening to this because we're recording before the draft started and it starts soon. Uh, but yeah, uh, he both had good defensive bigs behind him and a uh, strong team around him. But hopefully that'll also be the case at Michigan. I know, I, I mean, Hunter Dickinson isn't going to be Mark Williams uh, at the rim, but he's still 7-1. Yeah, if Hunter, it's kind of funny that you mentioned Mark Williams in comparison to Hunter, considering Michigan was recruiting them both pretty heavily in the same class, and they both yep. kind of came down to Duke and Michigan. Um, but yeah, we'll see how Baker's recovery from his injury goes too. I think that's a pretty key, key thing where you know if he's keeps the same level of athleticism, then yeah, I think he definitely has a role to play and like has been a solid player at a high major level before. Um, so hopefully that's what he is for Michigan. And then Michigan has one scholarship remaining and they have made the final four for uh Yusuf Kayat. Um, I hope I'm not butchering that. Who's um, from Lebanon has played professionally in France the last uh, few years. And he's listed anywhere between six, eight and six ten, depending on where you're looking. He is listed as having a plus wingspan, which is quite apparent when you look at the film that he, he is uh, um, what the scouts call lanky as shit. And uh, he's got, he gives off 
pretty strong Franz Wagner vibes. Um, you know, has a decent stroke, uh, not like the most explosive athlete, but uses his length very well and just kind of seems to know where to be. Scouting reports mention his, uh, his defensive upside and his ability to guard multiple positions. Um, his other three finalists are Wake Forest, DePaul, and Xavier. So you think if Michigan wants him, that's, uh, I mean, you never really know with an overseas transfer, especially what they're prior or an overseas recruit, what they're prioritizing. But, um, certainly if you're going by like, which is the most successful basketball program, Michigan seems like the apparent choice there. Reports seem to indicate that, uh, Michigan has a pretty good shot and, He's a guy who's probably a little bit more developmental, but he's also like a very tall wing. That seems like something that Michigan could potentially use as pretty much as early as he's available to, or as early as he's ready to play. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, big uh, guy who's only ever watched a uh, Franz Wagner voice. Um, I'm getting a lot of Franz Wagner vibes here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm my, my instinct as soon as I just like saw his picture, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to slap a Franz Wagner comp on here and uh, call it a day. Let's go. Um, one funny thing I did here on the uh, credit to the WTK TKA uh, round table today um, was that apparently like the Michigan feels like they have a good shot, but they, they were talking about how like, it's hard to convey to him. Like he has no concept of like American colleges or like what America's like and has never been, he can't visit because of like visas or whatever. And so like, they're trying, like Michigan's trying to convey to him, like, no, like you need to understand Michigan is nicer than Xavier. Like just objectively, <laughs> like they're trying to like, it's like, they, he's just, he's just like, well, you know, like he, he has no idea. I mean, you know, not like he's an idiot, but he just says he has no idea. Like, He's They're just walking about, like, around campus holding up iPads. Like, please right. just look and see how dope this yeah, is. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like he's he's he just says, I mean, even and not not that Michigan's like, you know, I mean, I, I think Ann Arbor is beautiful, but especially compared to Xavier, I'm assuming. Um, no, no smoke there. But also, anyway, it's yeah, not I thought winter, that was funny. So that this is good. Uh right. but yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, it is it is a Zoom recruitment, which is uh that that adds a, another element of uncertainty to the whole thing, but um yeah, Alex, what what do you think of his potential fit within this roster? And I, I don't know if how much film you've watched on him. I assume it's the same YouTube video that I have. <laughs> you know, I actually have watched exactly zero film, film of him. So he's a total international mystery man to me. Um, I feel like in college basketball, these kinds of recruitments can be total wild cards. Like Mo Wagner was a guy who came out of nowhere in the middle of the night and mm-hmm. committed to Michigan from Germany. Worked out pretty well. Um, Franz committed after the coaching change. <laughs> yeah. Franz was on the radar at least for a little while, though. This is like an old school. <laughs> he was like, also visiting campus when all of a sudden Michigan didn't have a coach. <laughs> yeah. yeah well, great job. <laughs> that was by a Juwan weird recruitment. Yeah. We've, we've gotten a lot of kids from uh, Canada that have been successful for us to, to varying degrees. Javon Shepard, most notably. Yeah. Most notably <laughs> Javon Shepard. Um, and then, yeah, with, uh, Kayat, he's playing in France right now. Musa played in France before he came to uh, the U.S. Um, I'm not sure if there are any connections there, but um, I Can't don't hurt. Think, yeah, as you as you're recruiting this guy who doesn't really know much about American universities or the American system, you can be like, hey, like a lot of foreign guys have come here and been successful and have gotten to the NBA. So that's a pretty pretty good recruiting pitch. Um, just reading the kind of scouting reports and listening to other people talk about this guy 
what I'm excited to hear is that he is kind of a defensive minded player. Um, that's something that Michigan kind of lacked on the roster last year and was <laughs> a, a big part of their success. That was a nice way of putting it. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> Eli, Eli Brooks was defensive minded. Yes. He had to be the defensive mind for like the whole team. Sometimes. <laughs> defensive minded is a good way to put it. Like he definitely was, was, he was trying to be the defensive mind for the whole team, but there was only so much Eli Brooks to go around. Right. And there's only so much Eli Brooks to like guard the other team's best player when Eli Brooks is trying to nail a bunch of 20 foot jump shots. And also um, when there's literally only so much of Eli Brooks, uh, like the dude was six one. That's tough to have as your best yeah, defensive player. The, the best, the best thing that you could say about Michigan's defense for most of last year was that uh, Caleb Houston had good positional length. Um, <laughs> like that's that's something I keep hearing and being told is a reason to take someone in the first round. So you know. It's going to be really interesting to see how that ages by yeah, the time this thinking. comes out. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm being gaslit. Really yeah. I'm being gaslit about Caleb Houston by NBA GMs. This is ridiculous. Yeah. So some of these scouting reports, you read them and you're like, what? There is not a game you could have watched that could have showed you this. I, 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 I watched I just, all the games. There was a guy who mentioned that he had zero points and zero rebounds in like 30-some minutes against Indiana <laughs> in the Big Ten tournament, and that, I think, is a useful data point. It is I mean, yeah, right. Like, is, that, is that like a bullet on the scouting report? Like, where does that go? <laughs> like, I don't – I – oh, God. Yeah, no. Um, I think that – I, I, I really do genuinely hope the best for Caleb Houston. I just, it's one of those things that makes me feel crazy. Like I just, I, I read these scouting reports and I'm like, maybe I don't know. I thought I was getting to the point by the end of last year that like, I knew at least a little bit of basketball. Um, and the, everything happening with Caleb Houston is making me feel like I just, I don't know what I'm doing at all. Um, so I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to shut up on this part of the podcast from now on. I mean, I mean like, I can't blame you when, uh, the thing that would make all of these Houston scouting reports would make sense is if he had this size and like NBA level plus athleticism. Um, but I mean, he was rim scraping on his dunks last year and it's not like his lateral agility was standing out either. So I, I'm confused, but um, I mean, he is six, eight and he can shoot. So if and there's so much around. There's so much inertia in the scouting world. Like mm -hmm. we didn't see him play, but Jaden Hardy for the G League team, he was considered to be a top five, top ten prospect in the class by a lot of people, and he's kind of fallen into that Caleb Houston range where it's like maybe he'll go the beginning of the second or something. Um, so I think you know even if they have a rough season, like the NBA is betting, like okay, his development kind of took a weird turn. Like I mean, even with COVID and everything, like this entire cohort of kids did not have a normal like high school <laughs> progression. Yeah. It's not grassroots the bet in the world to just bet on talent that has popped at some point or another. And I mean, he did have that FIBA under 17 or under 18, whichever one it was tournament where he really stood out against like Chet Holmgren and super high level competition. So, I mean, there is a high level prospect there. It's just, I mean, when you watched Michigan last season, yeah, and we watched all, all of us watched a lot of Michigan, except for Connor. Connor, congratulations. <laughs> that was a tough season. Connor um, was watching Joey Baker. Yeah. Connor was watching. Uh yeah, thanks for giving me a chance to finally weigh in Ace. I just want to say Joey Baker is fine. And in particular, the one notable thing about him is that I don't know that I've ever watched a Duke player 
with a shot where the ugliness to success ratio is that strange. Like his shot is very ugly, but it goes in. So oh, that's, to you. He's, he's a perfect replacement for Caleb Houston, whose shot looked amazing, uh, but never went in. <laughs> there you I go. Wrote, literally, I read a scouting. Okay, I'm, I'm talking about Caleb Houston again. Um, <laughs> this is my podcast. Um, <laughs> but like, uh, he, I literally read a scouting report that's like, he's got a great stroke. I'm like, what are we, but it doesn't go in the hoop. Um, okay, enough. Sorry, that's that's my last thing. <laughs> um, I'm trying to remember the name. Oh, John Sherna. John Sherna vibes. That's the name I was trying to think of. Ugly ass shot that went in all the dang time. Um, Dan's too young for that one, but yeah. Alex Alex remembers. Oh man, I do. I remember John Sherna. We could talk about him for 20 minutes on this. We, we, we'd have to bring a friend of the pod, Ben Gorin, on to to have a John Sherna discussion. I'd feel bad yeah. leaving him out. That time he dropped like 30 at the Breslin Center and led the Wildcats to a big upset. Beautiful. Absolutely wonderful. Uh, all right. Before we move on to football stuff, uh, the Big Ten released uh, the conference opponent matchups for both uh, men's and women's basketball, um, which means uh, the big focus is double plays, obviously, um, and single plays. Michigan for the men, um, they get Nebraska, Ohio State, and Purdue as their single plays at home. Illinois, Iowa, and Rutgers as their single plays away, um, and then play the rest of the conference twice. Um, so they'll get Indiana twice. They'll get Michigan State twice. Um, those are the two main contenders, really. Uh, it's kind of a weak year at the top of the conference, um, but uh, or at least it kind of looks like it's going to be. Um, Alex, did you have any uh, significant feelings about the draw for Michigan here? Yeah, it's, it's going to be kind of hard to tell who's going to be good. I think Indiana will probably be pretty good. I think Illinois will probably be pretty good. So it's kind of a bummer that we get them away and not home. But yeah. double play against Michigan State, as a fan, that's what I want to see the most. Just give me Hunter Dickinson against that group of centers at Michigan State. I'm thinking, yeah, 70 combined points in two games. <laughs> I don't know. Should be fun. Yeah, yeah, that'll be nice. Um, on the women's side, uh, they play a different number of games in conference plays. So there are more single plays because I don't know. That's just how things are. Um, Michigan gets Illinois, Iowa, Northwestern, and Penn State at home. Iowa is the very notable single play team there. Uh, they are returning pretty much everyone from uh, last year's very explosive team, uh, which split the season series with Michigan. So, um, yeah. Uh, Good for Michigan to get Iowa at home. That is a nice break. Um, their single plays on the road are Maryland, Minnesota, Purdue, and Wisconsin. Um, that is two pretty crummy teams in Minnesota and Wisconsin, a kind of mediocre to crummy team in Purdue and Maryland, which is uh, talented, but basically turned over their entire roster through the transfer portal. So um, all in all, a relatively decent draw for Michigan, especially considering that uh, – Iowa probably got the worst draw of any team in the conference, certainly of all the, of the main contenders. So um, I'll, I'll uh, I'd include that as a win for Michigan, considering um, that's probably your leading uh, conference contender along with Indiana. So um, yeah, those are the schedules. They, they were okay. I don't know. It's hard to have a super strong opinion about them right now. Um we are, as always, sponsored by Homefield Apparel. Use the promo code Bucket Problem for 15% off your first order from homefieldapparel.com. Uh, 
as we mentioned last week, uh, mugs are here. Uh, the Hawaii Rainbow Warriors mug is on its way to my house right now. I am uh, checking the front stoop multiple times a day um, so I can start drinking from it because it looks freaking phenomenal. Uh, it's also, uh, first of all, if you did not check out the TCU drop, and I'm not even saying this as a home field chill, even though I am paid to be one, uh, the, the TCU collection is phenomenal. And as long as you can pull off the color purple and just, you know, have that confidence, tell yourself, you know what, I'm pulling off purple today. Um, it's, it's beautiful. It's an amazing collection. So you should check that one out. Also this week, um, it's Washington state week. So we got a lot of, we got a lot of cougar content and, uh, the, the preview images I've seen are also pretty dang good. So it, I guess any any opinion on the, uh, the 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 preview that I shared in the um, chat here, Dan? You know, I was really I was making a tremendously concerted effort to not mention that. Do you I'm have sorry. a take on it? Oh, <laughs> uh, I've got to go with C. Honestly, um, <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be incomprehensible <laughs> to anyone. <laughs> Um, just under just just know that it's very funny um yeah uh some of the cartoon animals are uh they they look funny uh they're doing some funny things um so that yeah uh the washington state drop should be eagerly anticipated so if you haven't bought the tcu stuff yet maybe wait until saturday and then you know get all of it and while you're there uh, use the promo code Buck a problem for 15% off your first order at homefieldapparel.com, uh, who will hopefully continue sponsoring us despite all of these ad reads. Um, also, download the PointsBet app and use the promo code BucketProb to get 100% of your deposit batch up to $1,000 in the form of free bets. To get that bonus, though, you must use the promo code BucketProb. That is Bucket, P-R-O-B, all one word. Please gamble responsibly, set limits, avoid chasing losses, Never bet what you can't afford to lose. Take breaks when you need it and use the self-exclusion feature to stop yourself from betting. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLING. All right. Um, we have a segment that is uh, completely ripped off from our friends at Flipping the Field who just did uh, the vast majority of an episode on uh, the national coaching hot seat scene. Um, we are going to focus on the big 10. Um, we're also going to cover the coaches who are safe. So we are not, uh, totally ripping off, uh, our buddies, Ryan and Patrick. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, there's only a few, but I wanted to cover kind of the, uh, the other categories. Cause some of them might surprise you. Um, we'll start with, it's just too early. Um, that includes Brett Bielema at Illinois, Greg Schiano at Rutgers. And I was going to include Mel Tucker at Ellis at Michigan state. That was a slip um, in, in this category. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then I remembered that uh, he signed a 10 year, $95 million contract uh, based on two pretty damn mediocre seasons. I mean, I know he beat Michigan, but boy, that's, that's, he's the fourth highest paid coach in the country. I was going to say, I don't think two football wins have ever been worth more money than that. I mean, literally, I never. No, no two sports wins have been worth more money ever. So good for him. You know? I think in fairness, last year was not a, a mediocre season with beating Michigan, going to what was it, the Peach Bowl. Like They, they were pretty good. 
Yeah. 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 I mean, the granted, granted, does right. not warrant that contract. Right. <laughs> by no means. By no means does that. Wild. Yeah. I think, I think it's interesting. Like, it'll be interesting to see what happens if I think they're just all in on him. Like, I think they just believe in everything he's selling. And like, honestly, like he's, he's doing it. <laughs> yeah. Not the worst bet. Like he seems like he's really killing it right now. He's recruiting well over the head of where they normally are. Um, and he's proven to be, I don't think he's a great, like, I think he's better than James Franklin as, as, a, as an in-game coach, but his coordinators have, I don't know, Scotty Hazleton's suspect, but uh, I've, I've liked Jay Johnson more than I thought. Um, I feel like you're paying for the whole package there. And he had like a, a huge leverage position to demand whatever he wanted this year, um, given how fast the turnaround was. And he took it. Um, I can't blame him. And I think they also have like, you know, Michigan State's got like an Uber donor or several, like a handful of Uber donors right now. One that kind of make like yeah a gazillion dollars and so it's paid for this deal, I assume. Right, and so it's it'll be interesting to see what happens if he has a more mediocre next two seasons. Um, but I don't know. Like I'm I'm generally of the opinion that money is fake. Um, but not ten years, ninety five million is pretty wild. Um, I guess for, real, for what's yeah. been accomplished. I um, mean, I, I I go ahead, Dan. Oh, no, I was just thinking we should do like a what kind of season would have to happen for each of these coaches to get fired type thing. I think that'd be fun because I think some are like, oh, and 12, but some are like, you know, I don't know. We could we could have some fun with that. I think I think that's like I could go and 12 and survive. Honestly. Oh, yeah. No, he's <laughs> not, I mean, the, the buyout is too big. It is prohibitively yeah. massive. It, it, <laughs> I, I Mel, like, is I, in uh, what we call the scandal zone. Um, something <laughs> really bad would have to happen for him to get fired. Well, but like scandals don't happen anymore because you just say that you're being canceled culture and you can get away with it. That's that's how this goes. Kurt, now, right? Kurt Ferentz, at Michigan State. Iowa. We, we're, yeah. we're literally talking about him in the next section. <laughs> yeah. Um, Greg Schiano is back at Rutgers. <laughs> but I, I, I just want to say with Mel Tucker, like we can't, you know, I, I think it is really interesting because Dan, as usual, and I, I think Dan's correct. Like Dan is is super fair to Michigan State fans. He d- dug into the details and everything he's saying is correct about like, you know the the status of the donors and like the reasoning behind it and mel tucker's undeniable success um etc cetera, etc cetera. but like here's the question that over time like if you were if you were pitching this as like a, an investment right can michigan state in a sustained way over those 10 years surpass any of the three teams ahead of them in their own division michigan penn state ohio state like i mean it's not just in the, like one season but like in a sustained way and it is not at all clear to me that like that's coming down the pike it might but that's a tall order. Um, well, and, and it's an equally tall order for Michigan State to be able to do that and then retain Mel Tucker. Because, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, the last time they had a super successful, I mean, even like, other than Mark D'Antonio, who was just so made for that school in ways both good and bad, that that was just too tight a fit for him to leave. I mean, the last time they had a coach with some success, he jumped pretty much as soon as he could. Um, yeah, I think with Mel Tucker, you're setting a super high floor, which is like the dreaded scenario that you thought might happen after D'Antonio is like you're not going to slip down to like the Rutgers tier. Like I, I'm pretty confident that won't happen. But can you in, in any way justify like, you know, one of the biggest contracts in the country by actually competing for your division consistently? I guess we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I think um, look, we'll, we spent a lot of time talking about Mel Tucker. Um, this is a Michigan State podcast, of course. <laughs> um, but I think that like, Michigan state is trying to like, they're not just trying to, I think, I think the, the flipping the field boys have talked before about like, Oh, we're just trying to do like 
you know, they're, they're trying to just like do uh, the same thing that the big programs do, but worse. Um, you know, I think Michigan state is trying, like they're going to try to like get up to the top level of college football consistently. You know, I think like they saw what the ceiling was with D'Antonio, which was a really good ceiling. Um, but you know, he was never going to like really compete for a national championship. And I think like there's enough money and motivation behind Mel Tucker right now that like, they're going to give it their a college try to, uh, you know, be like a national program. And do I think that's going to work? Like, no, because I think it's really, really, really hard. Like we saw Oregon do this with literally like the ideal, I mean, like Nike, the, the four, the force of like the largest sports, you know, uh, sports apparel provider in the world behind them. And they, I mean, it looks like they might be trying again, but they didn't quite get there. Um, so I don't know. I think it's like, I commend Michigan state for trying. Um, do I think that this might be a little bit foolhardy? Yes. But, uh, I don't know. It's a billionaire's money and I, I certainly don't care about that. <laughs> That's yeah. True. A, a few things before we move on. Um, I think Clemson is a potential model for Michigan state at the very highest upside. Cause historically speaking, they weren't that great either. And the other thing is it's not my money. So if, <laughs> You know, a, a mortgage billionaire wants to make Michigan State football his plaything by investing that kind of money in it into it. Like, good for him, I guess. I guess it's not going to politicians. Also, it keeps the very funny scenario in play of like Michigan State continues beating Michigan, but we care less and less because we're beating Ohio State more often, which to me would just be hilarious. I know it's less funny if you guys live in Michigan, but still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would still definitely care about that. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a really no, funny no, hypothetical no. scenario where we, <laughs> we beat Ohio State more uh, more often. I think we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, maybe on that one. I, oh, I agree boy. that would be super funny, Connor. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, before we talk about Mel Tucker, uh, yeah, um, we've hit the institutions portion. Uh, Kirk Ferentz will be at Iowa for as long as he wants to be, and then he will become athletic director and promote his son. It has been written. Um, Pat Fitzgerald will be at Northwestern for as long as he wants to be at Northwestern. And this I felt a little less strongly about, but Paul Christ has established a pretty high floor at Wisconsin and is also um, one of the last of the Alvarez boys. So I, I think once you've like, if you come off of that coaching tree and you've gotten the Alvarez seal of approval, um, like you're going to be at Wisconsin for a long time. If you yeah. Want. You get the seal of approval by still running Barry Alvarez's offense. And yes. That, that rocks. Like yeah. keep it up. <laughs> and they have the running back to do it this year. So, I mean, why not? Um, so yeah, there's not much to say about that, that category, except that, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm going to disagree with, uh, with the Paul Christ one. Okay. Um, I just don't think, I don't know. I mean, I look, I agree with um, Kirk Ferentz, obviously uh, Iowa doesn't care. Um, I mean, he, and you know what, to be fair, like them getting to the, them winning the West, like every four or five years is like, I mean, I think they could do more as a program, but that's not the worst thing you could do. Um, Pat Fitzgerald, yeah. same. I mean, Northwestern is, I mean, again, hopefully Ben doesn't listen to this podcast, but uh, Northwestern is in a tough spot and, Pat Fitzgerald is a great fit and he's probably their best coach in, you know, ever. recent memory. And ever. even with, ever. even <laughs> if things, yeah, ever, if, uh, if things, even if things really, really fall apart, it's like, I think you stick with that guy rather than like trying to, I don't know. You, the only other option is like running the option. Um, but Paul Chris, like, I don't know, man, like it's just not, we, we tended to talk about Wisconsin as a sure thing and they kind of haven't been like, they haven't won 
the Big Ten West, like they've they've lost the Big Ten West more years than they've won it. Um, they don't make they have like the, the two hardest things to build, which are a consistently great defense and a consistently great offensive line. And they just constantly squander those things. Um, and I feel like I don't know, I feel like one more like I think they're they're set up pretty well this year to win the West because I think the West is going to be pretty bad um, as, as it usually is. But like really this year, there's not even a lot of competition. Um, but like I just don't think I could see him just not working out there. Um, and I, I don't, I don't think he's an institution. I would put him in like safe, but I could see like, if he goes seven and five twice, I could see him getting booted. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I think he's got a long leash and it's probably going to be tough for them to go seven and five because of the big 10 West. But yeah, I mean, I, they, I, they have wasted the best quarterback recruiting program history. And I mean, whether how much you can put that on, the coaches is obviously pretty debatable, um, but that might move the needle for Wisconsin fans in terms of just like a level of frustration of like, um, you know, obviously they've wanted to break through to kind of a something other than like, you're going to be the big 10 West champion that becomes can of father for the big 10 East champion uh, in the conference title game. And I think Graham Mertz was kind of their big hope for that. And that has not worked out really at all. So that, 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 yeah, I, I think it's fair to say he's not quite at the institution level. I, I think that's all fair. I, I think the thing that I don't have a good sense of is like, you know, seven, eight wins consistently, like eight wins being your average, for instance, is not acceptable to Michigan fans. I really wonder if it's more acceptable to Wisconsin fans. Cause like it probably should be, and it might be. And I, I just don't have a good feel for that. I will say about to go back on this list a little bit. I, I just want to shout out Kirk Ferentz. I think now that coach K has retired, he is the most unfireable man in all of American sports. Which so... is absurd given his history. <laughs> it is, but like he's won 10 games multi- many times at Iowa. And like everyone involved with Iowa that's remotely reasonable has to be able to say like how many coaches are winning 10 games at Iowa ever, right? Like that's, you just have to. And, and I, I'm going to quote Spencer Hall, like when he came on this very podcast and, and like made the, I'm not going to do the whole thing, but his long metaphor about like Kirk Ferentz just like shattering eggs in a steel bucket and putting it over fire. <laughs> and it's like a better, it's a better omelet than, you know, James Franklin's like La Cruzette masterpiece. Like that's, I mean, that's where we're at, right? It's, it's true. I actually, uh, James Franklin, second time that James Franklin has come in, uh, come into conversation in, in the context of breakfast this episode. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, no, I mean, again, Kirk Ferentz and Pat Fitzgerald, it's just like, you know, when you're in a relationship for a really long time, it's just comfortable um, and no one really wants to rock the boat. Like, that's what this is. Um, And you know what? Sometimes that's okay. Like, those are some of the best marriages. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Second Um, time in a row, I've had (laughs) dead silence (laughs) after saying something. Uh... I got to remember to to not use truncate silence on this section while I'm editing, but I'm going to forget. It's, you're not, you're not going to realize listeners how long that pause was, but let me tell you, it was long. Um, there are two coaches I've put in the uh, had been iffy, but are now safe category. Uh, one of them is Michigan's very own Jim Harbaugh, where the only risk seems to be if he leaves for the NFL um, because Michigan has rather inexplicably left that as a distinct possibility based on his contract structure. Um, But Michigan, obviously pretty committed to Harbaugh at this point. Uh, The other is Jeff Brom at Purdue, who had a couple 
kind of rough years in there. It seemed like things weren't really taken off, but uh, nine wins last season will uh, at, at, at Purdue that helps a lot. So um, I think that has, uh, especially since uh, you know he's a threat to leave for uh, a, an ostensibly better job at Louisville, pretty much at any moment that that job comes up. Um, if if you have a coach at Purdue who's coveted by like literally any decent program. You should probably hold on to that coach. <laughs> that's that's a great way of putting it, Ace. Like, if literally anyone is trying to interview your head coach at Purdue, you're like, up uh, extension, $5 million more a year. <laughs> that is kind of like what happened at Michigan State, though. And I think Mel Tucker has actually been a little bit more successful than Jeff Brom, who, yeah, Purdue just throws the bag at him because his agent's like, whoa, you know, he went to Louisville before. So, <laughs> I, I mean, mean, but here's like, the thing. Purdue's like, not going to do yeah, better. They're just yeah, not. Michigan State is a. I mean, look, I, I'm, I know I'm like the, the the resident Michigan State defender now, but like that's a better program than Purdue. Let's be, let's. I mean, oh, yes. yeah, definitely, definitely. So like, Mel Tucker, fan, man, yeah, they beat Purdue, beat Tennessee. It was sick. Like that's. I mean, I don't know. I think, I think if you have like a nine and three season, even every like four years at Purdue, like that's damn good, man. And he's making like he makes a lot of bowl games. He beat Ohio State. Like that's. All those things are like you're. They're never. You're never going to win the Big Ten at Purdue. You know, it's like you got the last time they won nine games. They were coached by a literal walrus. So they, this was <laughs> tremendous progress for yeah. Purdue. Yeah, I mean, uh, dude, I don't know. Dan, I, I think we can agree though that Jeff Brom should give fifty percent of his contract to Rondale Moore. I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> oh, for he sure, managed yeah. to do it without him last year. That was impressive. Uh, but he should be paying his tight end room pretty well. Uh, <laughs> True. Um, do we, so what do we think, uh, what, we, what do we think would have to happen for either of these coaches to get fired this year? I think Jim Harbaugh would have to go like, I think if Jim Harbaugh missed a bowl, I think we'd have some interesting conversations. Um, that's not going to happen, but I think Harbaugh like, could go. Oh no, I was, that's not going to happen, but I think like that missing a bowl along with everything in the off season and how badly recruiting is going, like, I think you would have, you'd have some conversations. I'm not saying it would happen, but I think you'd have some conversations. I mean, I, I think I think Harbaugh could weather a truly wretched season one season. I think if he went four and eight this year, we'd obviously be really unhappy with him. But as long as he turned things around the next year, I think he'd still be have a pretty long grace period. Just just given that, like, yeah, I mean, we don't have to reiterate that the history of Michigan football over the last few years. But like, I think I think Harbaugh could weather one truly wretched season. I also do think like the stuff Dan pointed to, like I expect recruiting to end up being fine. And I think we're all going to be feeling fine this year. I also think Michigan has a very good chance to win uh, 10 or 11 games. So, you know, yeah, yeah. they're not going to go for it. They'd, they'd have to like truly implode to go for it. So yeah, we're not, talking about happen. an incredible worst case scenario here, but I think even in that case, like Michigan's athletic department is pretty institutionally committed to Jim Harbaugh right now. Yeah. Like they've, they've doubled yeah. down on him, this particular ward manual. So, um, yeah, it'd be it'd be hard for him to get out. As for Jeff Brom, like I think they could have a, a legitimately terrible season, and he would still. Oh yeah, because he's got um they they've they've gotten kind of screwed um out in like a, a they've lost a lot and they lost their top wide receiver um to academic issues. Uh, so I could see them like I could I could see them like honestly winning like two games, and it's like he get his seat would get hot, but they'd they'd keep him. Yeah, I mean, he's still developed Aiden O'Connell into somebody we're talking about in the uh, in the Big Ten, like all Big Ten discussion. Yeah. So uh, that's that's definitely not nothing. 
Um, all right. Next one. Uh, I've called this the annoying, constantly using other schools for leverage, yet still safe category. Uh, it is James Franklin at Penn State and PJ Fleck at Minnesota. Um, I don't know. These guys are pretty similar to me. James Franklin's just like a slightly leveled up version. Um, yeah. PJ Fleck evolves into uh, James Franklin. Like in Pokemon. <laughs> who's, That's who's, really... the, who's the third evolution of the PJ Fleck James Franklin uh, uh, Pokemon evolution tree? Oh, who's goodness. an even better coach the shaved head we got to think about that um, i mean is it mel tucker <laughs> it oh, that's an interesting gosh that's getting uh, interesting i i we can't say we can't declare that yet. <laughs> i just want to say like very briefly about him like the media coverage of him has been so wildly out of step with the product on the field and the win-loss record since 2017 so like several years at this point like i i just i really wonder at what point that's gonna like start to start to reconcile itself because the media talks about him like he's winning 11 games all the time and he has not been close to that for years now so i mean we'll see i think another seven and five year would be tough for him you would think but i don't know you guys i don't know i, I find it, i find him like his role in college football very strange i mean he's also i mean he keeps getting these huge contract extensions so like it's very hard to fire him i do also want to mention i'm, I'm still hung up on the pokemon thing um what do we think of Jimbo Fisher as the final form of this uh, this evolutionary? <laughs> oh, I like that. Yeah, <laughs> but Jim, Jimbo Fisher like runs his own offense. Like I don't think you can. He, but James Franklin, be... James Franklin, James Franklin, PJ Fleck ostensibly does too. Like yeah. they were, yeah, they both came from the opposite side of the tree. <laughs> I mean, okay. like how how much how much does Jimbo really run his offense anymore? Like, yeah. are we sure that Franklin doesn't run that offense? Because that would explain a lot, honestly. <laughs> and also, we're talking final form here, so you know that's the the evolutionary version is still like pretty annoying, uh, ridiculously well paid. <laughs> what if it's Very what if it's hyper. Dion? Deion Sanders. Oh my God. <laughs> that, wow. that is a wild. That's, that's, that's several wild steps. Pa- I mean, I, I don't know. I just listened to the flipping the Dion, field podcast. Deion Sanders is like in, in the new Pokemon. <laughs> I think you can go like he's um, winning like seven national titles. Uh, you can uh, in, in the new Pokemon. I think you can like mega evolve. That's that's like the final form. <laughs> um, but yeah. enough about Pokemon. Um, I cannot wait for Coach Prime to just completely. I, I, I do think. Ball. I do think James Franklin's in a weird spot because I think people are generally unhappy that he got an extension uh, at yes. state based on my conversations with, you know, Penn state fans. So I think he's safe. Cause obviously that would be ridiculous to fire him. But like, if he goes, if he finishes third in the division, not even seven, let's just say he goes eight and four. Um, I could see people like, I could see his seat being very hot for next season. Yeah. All right. I'm going to read his buyout real quick because that becomes relevant. Um, it's a 12 million through, uh, or sorry, well, it's already past that date. So congratulations, Penn State. You've ducked the $12 million buyout. It's only $8 million now until the end of the year, uh, until December 31st. And then it drops to $6 million for 2023, which is like, I would say right on the line where like you're you're a little shy about pulling the trigger on that. Um, but in 2024, his buyout's only $2 million. So I think it's going to take like two pretty mediocre seasons. But yeah, um, I think if you're that's feasible, if your fans are legitimately mad at your coach, I think six million is going to be very easy to raise quickly. So I, I could see it going either way. Um, yeah. Yeah. Fleck. Uh, meanwhile, um, he's got a $10 million buyout until the end of the year, then down to seven for the Jeez. following year, five the year after that and four the year after that. 
PJ Flex going to be at Minnesota for pretty much as long as he wants. The um, economics of Big Ten coaching is they're just so wild. Like uh, talking about all of this in this way, and you're about to get to Mike Locksley, but the contracts that these guys are getting and the results that they're performing at their job, like these agents and these athletic directors, I would love to be a fly on the wall for negotiations there because they can secure just life changing great grandchildren are taking care of kind of bags um, and win like seven games. Yeah. yeah. These, like, from, from like these like Midwest schools, you know, like mostly, you know, farming majors, like it's just it, where, like, where's this money coming from truly? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's really interesting because that's, that's the subtext, right? When you're negotiating with the university of Minnesota, you're saying, look like how many guys out there can really get these results here right it's all about location it's like you want a good football team it's really hard to recruit here there's not an organic recruiting base regionally uh i can win you eight games you know as often as not and like that is a very true pitch it's the, it's the kirk ferentz pitch to iowa like i can sometimes win 10 games here who can do that and i mean we look at scott frost we're gonna get to him later but like you know, yeah, like Scott Frost can't win six games in Nebraska, and he we, he was regarded as a pretty damn good coach. Like location is everything. Now the question of why these institutions and their boosters are willing to put so much money into a bad product is maybe a different <laughs> question. But I do think it's true. Like there is it's a case deductible, to be made. baby. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like this is this is one form of rationality. The SEC model, where like if you can't win 12 games at South Carolina within three years, you're fired is a, you know, the opposite model of rationality. Both are bad. Um, the Midwestern one is just a little bit more realistic about like what it's going to cost per win. You know what I mean? I agree to a certain extent, but even Scott Frost has signed an extension. Like I actually just quick fact check that. Cause I couldn't remember if I was making it up, but after two seasons and a losing record, he managed to tack on two extra years <laughs> to the end of his deal. <laughs> So I totally get what you're saying about, you know, Minnesota or Purdue even, you know, realistically, they have a good coach who wants to stay there and build the program. And I mean, the, the continuity there counts for a lot. So I understand. And again, it's not my money. Um, I just, yeah, it's, it's wild. Like if you make it to that level of the profession, like all of these guys are hardwired to be super competitive and really like hungry for success, but yeah, if you're Mel Tucker, you could totally mail it in for a long time, and yeah, you're getting a, a lot of money. That's what I would do. Way. Like you can, they've already they've already given you the money. Like don't, there's no need to be posting on Instagram about your shoes. Like it's just, it's <laughs> it's just sim simply stop. You can you can go home now. Um, <laughs> uh, are we talking about Mike Slo Mike Loxley next? Who I did I forgot that he got a crazy extension. Yeah, so this one is fun. Oh. Uh, he's in his own category because I initially had him as the number three hot seat guy. And then I went to look up contracts and realized uh, he got a five-year extension after last season. And I would like to read off the... So, so they did finally improve. This was his best year. They had won in his first two years, uh, combined five games. Um and it combined three Big Ten games. Uh, they went seven and six last year and three and six in the Big Ten. But uh, those wins were against West Virginia, who finished unranked, Howard, Illinois, Kent State, Indiana, Rutgers, and a pinstripe bull win over Virginia Tech team that had fired Justin Fuente. 
Um, <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. Like he got a five year, uh, the ba- I think the base salary is twelve and a half million dollars, and he can uh, make up to four million dollars a year, so that make it uh, potentially a twenty million dollar deal. Um, I understand so- that Maryland is in kind of a like football purgatory type place, but that feels desperate given Mike Loxley has had now one half decent season as a head coach. Ever. So without your without your hater spin ace, what I'm hearing is that Maryland gutted out that win against Rutgers at the end of the year to see who would be bowl eligible and then uh, got the big 10, a bowl win. That's what I'm really hearing here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I, I do want to make the serious point though, that like Maryland, as much as we're like, Oh, Maryland, they're a terrible football program. No history, like no fans, blah, blah, blah. They have way fewer excuses than most teams on this list because the DC area is legitimately one of the best recruiting grounds in the country and is second only to the state of Ohio for like organic recruiting grounds within the big 10. So, and they, and they have the Under Armour plug. I mean, that is yeah. Under Armour's number one school, um, which I mean, in fairness, Under Armour, not the uh, leading apparel company in the eyes of recruits, but you should still be able to get something out of being like, you know, the main focus of a large apparel company. Do you, do you think that like, I think that kids probably think Under Armour is extremely lame. Uh, oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, not cool. Um, in turn, like, I just think like, I don't know, it's, like they don't make very good. Um, I, I don't, I feel like, I think like that doesn't help them. Like they're, it's they're probably helping them a lot bad. more in lacrosse, um, but you should still be able yeah. to do something with like, yeah, no, you're I mean, right. they might need to redesign their uniforms and stop basing them so much around that state flag, but um, flag that's everything in the state of Maryland truly has the state flag on it. Like I've never seen the Pennsylvania state flag, but it's everything. Um, <laughs> it's that flag rock. I don't know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think Maryland is like, what if Texas didn't have that much money? You know, like it's like the same <laughs> culture issues. It's the same like approach, just like, oh, let's just get like as much talent as we can and then have it all transfer out after one year. Cause like every, every, every like four star that Maryland gets, I read on the 24 seven message board is like, yeah, he is like, it, you know how, you know how like 24 seven insiders will post when they're like, this kid has, uh, uh, discipline issues but they don't want to say that it's like every kid that commits to maryland that's like you know over a four star is that and they end up transferring out after one year um yeah i don't know i mean it's it, it, it's it, it is desperate i agree like this was i'm i'm kind of like in on maryland for this year just because they've got so much talent i think they could be like fun bad um but to pay this much to to, to lock up mike's loxley like that's wild man like what do you what are you scared of? Like he's going to leave? I, I just don't understand. <laughs> I mean, it's, especially since like he's I mean, not good. He's not good. They they were not at all competitive against any team. No, the they didn't. And give, then... They didn't give anyone a scare. They they literally. I was talking about this when we played Maryland this year. Like they're the one team in the Big Ten under Harbaugh's tenure that has not once even come close to beating Michigan. Like yeah, they have, even, we do not Rutgers have one scare last year. Rutgers did it huh. twice. Yeah, I was trying to Rutgers, black out Rutgers the other Rutgers is one. way scarier than Maryland. Like, Maryland, that's a walk in the park. Um, and meanwhile, I'm Maryland not, last uh, year, like, things were so close to going very different for them because they only beat Illinois by three, and they only beat Indiana by three. And both those teams were terrible last year. Yeah. And no, at least it's, Illinois it's, was on the road, but Indiana was at home. And that was, like, well into the season when they just, like, didn't have a quarterback. And they gave up yeah. 35 points. Yeah, that was a dead team like that. And they and they almost lost to it. I mean, 
I don't know, man. This is this is the why. Like I, I I've, I've been like very much like oh not my money. Like I don't care. It's not real. But uh, this one is um this one's questionable. This like, is a rebuke I, of capitalism. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> this is it's unlike the rest of this list, which is totally normal, and uh, the market is doing good things. Um, yeah, this one, this is the straw. Like if 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 Milton Friedman was reading this, I think that's a capitalism guy. Um, he's, he's, uh, he's joining, uh, DSA immediately. Yes. He's becoming a Marxist, <laughs> which, uh, you know, more power to him. All right. We, we have finally reached the top three. Uh, number three is ridiculous. I'm just going to say it right now. But, uh, again, we listened to flipping the field. Uh, we have, our brains have been poisoned by it. And uh, so at number three on our list is Ryan Day of Ohio State. This would absolutely require a disaster. But Buckeye fans consider more than one loss a disaster. And really, they even considered that one loss a disaster. So it it would definitely take something uh, pretty wild. But like if, say, Michigan runs all over them again, and they also drop another couple games, say the Notre Dame game and one more in there in the Big Ten. When Luke Fickle is out there, I feel like the margins are a little bit thinner for Ryan Day, especially with that fan base. His seat is hotter than a lot of other coaches on this list, but I don't know that he's likelier to get fired than a lot of yeah, it's, he's other a, coaches here. He's in a weird spot. I think Alex kind of nailed it. Like, It's not a true hot seat situation because like he's obviously been successful i mean good lord the man has lost one game in the pick 10 uh i will leave it to our listeners to fill in who that loss was to but um <laughs> i i i just think i i don't know i mean i i i'm not trying to caricature ohio state fans here too badly but i think it's not that unfair to say that they over the last decade came to feel entitled to beating michigan so one loss was a traumatic event from which they still have not recovered um been two there. in a row i think two in a row would do it i think i think an 11 and one ohio state that loses to michigan and michigan or someone else wins the big east and that you know and ohio state doesn't get to even compete for the conference title i think he's done at that point because fans will just be so mad at him if he's that, I, I don't think he can be done for that just because his contract runs through 2028 <laughs> huh, what if okay. so, so what about a um what about a 10 and two Ohio state. This is like a fun game to play. We can do this like a million different permutations to this 10 and two Ohio state loses to Notre Dame, Michigan, but wins the big 10 and, and like, like goes to the Rose bowl again. You think he's safe? Oh yeah. I, I think, I, I, think, I think three losses like four losses. I mean, like, Oh no, I think three, they have to pay three so losses. Much he's money. So no, much dude, it's, money. they don't care. They're, they're, they they're completely deranged. If they lose three games and one of them is in Michigan, I guarantee you, look, that's not going to happen. Okay. Um, probably either <laughs> of those true. things, but if they lost three games, he'd be done, dude. Like he's, they're already pissed at him. Like the bar, this is a, this is a, a fan base that truly has not ever struggled ever. Like not even Alabama went through lean years before Saban. Like this, this fan base has never experienced like, they had one year of six and six football and it was like the apocalypse. I mean, it's, I truly think that I think if they lost two games and one of them was to Michigan, I think we, I think he'd be fired. I really do. I really, really do. Um, but I I, that's probably not going to happen. We, uh, we know but, people who are with you on that. I, I just would. Be yeah. Surprised. Oh yeah. And this is, this is me going off. Yeah. This might be very much uh, slanted by the fact that 
uh, my primary football, um, like, you know, influence is, uh, Ryan from flipping the field, but still, <laughs> I mean, what would it even take for Ohio state to go eight and four this year? Like a catastrophic injuries could, to multiple positions. Like, I mean, if they, if the defense just like didn't fix itself and then, Nate, I mean, they just, it's not going to happen. It's not, like, it's, it's, it's yeah. not they had, that, happen, they had that defense last year. That you could, you could find losses. three. I mean, I mean, like you could say like Notre Dame, Notre Dame, Michigan, and then they drop one more, you like know, Penn, like Penn state. And then see, I don't think he's getting fired at nine and three. I really uh, yeah, don't. I, don't think, I think he would be on the hot seat going into the next year, but and I, yeah, even I if it, I mean, you, you gotta I, let I, that buyout come down here. a little bit. You gotta let that buyout come down. It's it's well, just and like who are you gonna much. get? That's I don't know. Yeah, I guess they're gonna get Luke Fickle. Fickle. That's, yeah, that's they do the have thing. Luke Fickle. That's but the thing. Is he if, better if than? If, I don't think he's better than. It doesn't but they, matter. But they can but like wait they, for him. They can yeah, wait like, because that dude's not leaving Cincinnati for any other school except maybe Notre Dame, and Notre Dame just hired Marcus Freeman. So Ohio State can kind of know they have fickle on the back burner and the, you know, the escape not look totally reactionary if Ryan Day has like a kind of not great season. The escape court is right there. That's the thing. You know what I mean? Like it's such a safe I think if there wasn't, we wouldn't be having this conversation if there wasn't such a good option that would so definitely come to the school, you know? Yeah. I I don't know. It's, it cuts it's both ways, I think, because, because fickle, I think, is going to be there. Um, I, I think... Yeah, I agree. I mean, look, Ace, I, I agree that money is not totally fake. I think we can all agree, though, that, you know, my 11 and one loss to Michigan get fired thing might be a little bit of a hot take. I think Dan's scenario where it's like, you know, 10 and two and a bowl loss. Like, I, I do think that losing multiple games in the regular season to anyone counts as a massive implosion to from the point of view of Ohio State fans. I also think we can all agree on this, that no matter what else happens, if you lose it to Michigan this year, at the very least, the median Ohio State fan will absolutely want him fired because they don't care about the money. Oh, the absolutely. Department does it. Yeah. Okay. We can agree on that at least. Yeah. But they they also they wanted John Cooper fired for you know, like half a decade before it happened. Um, some of us are old enough to remember these things. <laughs> uh, number two, uh, Tom Allen at Indiana. Which, uh, if you had told me like two or three years ago that I would have him this high on a hot seat list, uh, I would have been pretty shocked. But um, this went. This went bad quickly. Uh, I don't know if that had anything to do with having Mike DeBoard and then uh, Nick Sheridan as offensive coordinators uh, in a relatively short period of time. Uh, but yes, yes, it does. It absolutely has something to do with that. <laughs> um, it also just seems like, I mean, like they're having pretty serious coordinator churn. Um, they do not seem to be making significant upgrades when those guys go out. We'll see what happens with replacing Nick Sheridan. It might be hard to do worse than what he did at indiana but um i don't know uh they might try um so yeah indiana i think i think what keeps allen in contention for keeping his job here is his previous success and the fact that this is very much a basketball school and other basketball teams actually playing all right so uh that might take some of the heat off of him but um and i'm not joking about that this is a school that has (laughs) basketball hoops at its uh football stadium that children can play on um that you can see on tv uh so yeah i I, like indiana may not take football seriously enough to fire tom allen and i'm not judging one way or the other whether that's a good thing um but uh he's definitely in the two seat for like 
coach who is the most fireable right now. I think it's worth noting um, he signed a seven-year extension after the 2020 season, so that will probably five years left on that. Yeah, pretty heavily into what happens from here. Yeah, (laughs) bag king Tom Allen truly just putting in the one good Indiana season ever, uh, right in the middle of a global pandemic, and uh, just (laughs) cashing the hell in. That rules, dude. They all get huge bags. Like we need. We need Chairman Powell to step up and slash inflation by getting I, I, these. This, coach this is true. Like, this control. is why. Which like, coach how many hasn't gotten inflation? a massive extension in the last few years? We've we've covered. Uh, I mean, spoiler alert: we we already mentioned the next guy. Scott Frost got one. Tom Allen got one. Ryan Day got one. James Franklin got one. PJ Fleck got one. Mike Laxley got one. Uh, <laughs> Jeff Brom. Uh, I know Paul Christ has had an extension. Pat Fitzgerald is there for life. Ferentz has had a gazillion of them. Mel Tucker is a top five paid coach. And the other two guys were just hired. So when they talk about wage inflation, that is what they're talking about. They're not talking about people getting like a higher minimum wage. No, they're talking about the multimillionaires who <laughs> are now signing Mel Tucker getting a 10 year, hundred million. million yeah. Exactly. They should give me some money. I would like, a couple million dollars. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think too much money. should pay me. <laughs> I want money. Give Thanks. me the money. <laughs> I'm not imagining like some aging Republican guy who's like going on a tirade and you know picturesque local diner about how no one wants to work anymore and you got to pay a college football coach nine point five million dollars a year for them to show up and do their job. <laughs> these, yeah, these are all millennials. <laughs> they, yeah. want, they just they just want to work from home. They all all they know is charge their phone, eat hot chip, and lie. <laughs> uh scott frost (laughs) yeah so i mean scott frost is the obvious number one nebraska just cannot get it together under him uh even like there's just a lot of momentum going against him i don't think it's all his fault because it's that's a hard job now like nebraska has the institutional expectations of a blue blood and they're located in nebraska and they're no longer have the uh, recruiting loophole that Tom Osborne used to basically get uh, like an entire team of non-qualifiers to play for him. And uh, as it turns out, when, uh, when that is no longer an option and you're just stuck with uh, recruiting the great planes, um, things fall off a little bit. And it also seems like maybe Scott Frost is not as good as he looked at UCF. So that's not great for them. Yeah. Um, what would it take for him to be retained? Like, does seven and five do it? Yes. I, I think going to seven a bowl game, finally, I, I think if he goes, this is this is where the it's good for him. Like, if he goes to a bowl game, you know, for the first time in his tenure there, I think he survives definitely at least one more year. I, I think that, like, Nebraska fans just want to win some dang games and be, like, remotely relevant in their division. And so the longer-term goal for them is still, like, you know, be a national power. But I think that, this year, he it's it's attainable what he has to do. Yeah, long term goal be a national power. Short term goal make bowl. <laughs> <laughs> They're also fortunate, or not they uh, necessarily, but um, Scott Frost is fortunate in that uh, the athletic director is uh, another former Nebraska football player in Trev Alberts, and I feel like even though Trev Alberts came in in 2021, so he wasn't the guy who hired Scott Frost, uh, it feels like it takes something relatively significant to fire him but we've now said that like basically the entire big 10 is going to come back next year as a coaching like 
like all 14 coaches have a good chance of coming back. And that, that feels less likely than at least one of these guys getting canned. And of course there is the possibility of coaches like actually moving up in the world. Um, so we'll see if this I, is finally the time where like Franklin or Fleck, like take a bigger job or something like that. But uh, I think what we've learned here mostly is that um, find uh, donors to big 10 football programs and just ask them for money. Just do it. Cause yeah, for it, real. The worst thing that can happen is they'll say no. And for all you know, they might hire you to coach Rutgers and pay you like $50 million. If if you just tell them that you can, uh, that you can recruit the DMV area effectively, you don't have to prove that at all. Um, They'll (laughs) take you at your word and give you $5 million a year. Tell them Um, that you coach New Mexico state. That's not even a real school. They won't look into it. (laughs) I was going to say, make up a Catholic school in the DC Baltimore area and say like, ah, yeah. St. Xavier, big football powerhouse. Got a lot of ties there. Like no one's going to fact check you on that. Um, I think one last thing I want to say about two things I want to say about Scott Frost. I think people like him and I think we've established right on this list that does help you and provides job security. I think a lot of these coaches are like liked by their fan bases and that's, that's part of why we think a lot of them will survive. Um, yeah. I, I want to echo Dan's sentiment. Uh, the SEC and the IRS need to investigate every single big 10 booster and donor uh, immediately offshore accounts, all of it. Um, and lastly, I think Scott Frost is going to be a tremendously fun Nick Saban offensive coordinator. Next <laughs> oh man. Uh, you mean offensive analyst, right? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, yeah, officially <laughs> he's got, analyst. he's got to climb the ladder for the bottom, like everybody else. That's right. <laughs> not if, uh, not if I get my way and he comes to Michigan, um, I still want that running game. Um, but, uh, real quick, give me just quick over under, um, how many coaches are, not at their current program this time next year, over under two and a half. That can be either fired or they leave for a better job. Mm, take the over. You know, I think I'm taking the under and I don't feel good about it, but uh, I'm also seeing a lot of returning coaches on this list and a lot of really bad extensions. So I, th- I think money is going to dictate that not there's not a ton of movement. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I just want to say I'm also going under. I, I I look at this list and it's like everyone secured the bag during the boom times of their you know the first part of the 2020s, and I just don't see I, I, like we're this weird this weird spot where like not these guys are neither going to be fired nor they're going to be offered better jobs for the most part. So yeah, under. I love. I'm gonna go two. over. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, oh, sorry. I'm gonna go over. I'm gonna go Tom Allen, Scott Frost, and a wild card. Um, just something totally out of left field will happen. Um, but I, 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 I wouldn't feel bad about an underpick either. Uh, I love that we've reached the point where uh, we are talking about 2020 as if it's the uh, financial salad days. Um, really, uh, <laughs> things are good. Things are real good in 2020. Definitely. I, I just keep keep seeing the lines going up. I don't see any way that uh, this doesn't feel like a bubble at all to me. No, no, not at all. Um, all right. Uh, that is it for this week. Uh, follow at Bucket Problem on Twitter. Go to www.thebucketproblem.com and subscribe to the newsletter and the bonus podcast, uh, which I, I'm assuming I'll eventually put out one of those. Uh, rate, review, and subscribe to this year's free podcast and uh, use the promo code Bucket Problem at homefieldapparel.com and the promo code Bucket Prob on PointsBet. Thank you for listening and have a great week.